Snowman Podcast. Welcome back to the Snowman Podcast. I'm your host, as always, the Snowman, ready to bring to you another great American story. Folks, when you think about the beginning of our country, what names stick out to you? Now, I'm not talking about when the Pilgrims landed or the Jamestown settlement. I'm talking about the time frame that led up to the Revolution. So, roughly from the late 1760s up until 1775-76. There's almost too many people to name. You have John Adams, Paul Revere, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Ethan Allen, Betsy Ross, Abigail Adams, Caesar Rodney, Samuel Adams, and John Hancock. Yet one name towers above all the rest, both literally and figuratively, George Washington. A man of grandeur and a skilled military leader, he would be given the nickname Father of Our Country. But why was he held in such regard? Well, folks, that's what I hope to shed some light on. For George Washington was born at a time when trouble was ever-present, and he rose to the task lay before him time after time. A man of devout faith, I fully believe that he had the blessing of God over his life, for there were multiple occasions he could have been killed, yet he never was. Before we get into his life, though, I want to make something very, very clear. Over the last few years, some people have been trying their hardest to destroy Washington's legacy for the sole purpose that he was a slave owner. This, to me, is a travesty. Yes, Washington was a slave owner, but he hated the idea of slavery. And if he had had the opportunity to do so, I believed he would have passed the emancipation much earlier than it actually was. You also need to remember that before we declare our independence, we were subjects of Great Britain, and thus they instituted slavery in the colonies, and it became so ingrained into the minds of the men that by the time we were striving for liberty, only a few were willing to end slavery right away. Dr. Franklin said it best in my opinion, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit right now, it is the time for independence and not emancipation. This line is from the HBO miniseries John Adams, And while it's not certain if Franklin did indeed say these words, he fully believed them. And one quick note about Washington and slavery for you to ponder and share with your friends. He was the only founding father to free all his slaves upon his death in 1799. Now, back to why Washington is so pivotal in American history and how he had God's sovereign protection. I thought about where to start with telling you about Washington. <laughs> I even considered starting when, from when he was born. And I was like, wait a minute. That's going to take way too long. And would differ from the goal of this podcast, which is to share with you great American stories. Um, and I don't want to bore you. So let's just skip ahead to the exciting parts. The first instance occurred when Washington was serving in His Majesty's Royal Army. Kind of weird thinking of George in a red uniform, huh? Where God protected George first was during the Seven Years' War, otherwise known as the French and Indian War. Colonel Washington, at that time, was under the command of British Major General Edward Braddock, 
at the head of a 13 to 1500 man army. Now, to our standards of army size, this seems rather small, especially given during the Civil War, a major general commanded roughly 10,000 plus men. But during the Seven Years' War, it was far more normal that the army had 2,000 men or less. Sometimes they had more, with other generals joining in, but for the most part, it was roughly 1,500 to 2,000 men in an army. Either way, Braddock was an experienced soldier, who was one of the greatest British generals of his day. However, that was in Europe where they fought a civilized war. Stand in a line while I shoot at you and you shoot at me. I think civilized war was also a rather stupid kind of war. Anyway, that's not how they did it on American frontier. Ain't that the truth. And Braddock would not live to regret his determination to fight the way he was used to. Braddock wanted to deal the French a devastating blow to end the war quickly. The war had been dragging on for a while now, and Great Britain was like, we keep fighting this, we're going to go broke, and we're already beyond broke, so we're going to go really broke, which means finish this bloody war, or we're in bad shape. And so Braddock was like, all right, I'll capture this big fort and will th- that'll hamper the french so much that we'll start gaining the upper hand and will the war will be over quickly so he went after fort duquesne i believe i'm pronouncing that right i could be wrong it's french it's a tongue twister sometimes braddock and his army crossed the monongahela river and were roughly eight miles away from the fort when all hell broke loose. The French had known they were coming and had set an ambush with Canadian sharpshooters and Indians from the Ottawa and Potawatomi nations. They opened such a ferocity of fire on the unsuspecting British troops, it turned into a massacre. Of the roughly 1,500 British soldiers who were present, Over 900 of them were killed or wounded. The French and Indians had less than 100 casualties total. Well-known and respected frontiersman now, Daniel Boone was an unknown 21-year-old teamster. As the battle commenced, he was far back down the line with the supply train. But they quickly heard reports that the British were being slaughtered. Boone mulled his options and decided to cut his horses free and get while the getting was good. Washington did not have that freedom to depart so easily. As he was a high-ranking officer in Braddock's command, he was riding to and fro delivering orders. It was during those moments that God spared his life multiple times. While riding along the lines, Washington's horse was shot out from under him. He quickly got another mount and continued, but that horse too was shot down. Washington still mounted again and continued his duties until the battle was over. Afterwards, he looked down and saw he had multiple bullet holes through his jacket. And if you've ever seen a colonial jacket, those are not really um, brought. I mean, they're close to the body. So he was spared multiple bullet holes that would have ripped into him. 
This proves that God was indeed looking out for George during the battle for the great plans he had in store for him. Now, the most fascinating story about this moment came about 15 years later while Washington was working as a surveyor. He was traveling in roughly the same area as the battle, and he was with an old friend of his, Dr. Craig. As they journeyed, they were approached by an old Indian chief and some of his warriors. The chief's name was believed to be Red Hawk, and he had been at the Battle of Monongahela on the French side. And he had tried to kill George. Let me share with you, in Red Hawk's own words, his account of the battle. Um, for reference sake, this is taken from the blog by Alan Curry. You can find this story and others at alancurry.com. Red Hawk straightens up and looks at Washington. I am a chief and ruler over my tribes. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes and to the far blue mountains. I have traveled a long and weary path that I might see the young warrior of the great battle. It was on the day when the white man's blood mixed with the streams of our forests that I first beheld this chief. I called to my young men and said, Mark yon tall and daring warrior. He is not of the Redcoat tribe. He hath an Indian's wisdom, and his warriors fight as we do, himself alone exposed. Quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which but for you knew not how to miss. Twas all in vain. A power mightier far than we shielded you. Seeing you were under the special guardianship of the Great Spirit, we immediately ceased to fire at you. I am old and soon shall be gathered to the great council fire of my fathers in the land of shades. But ere I go, there is something that bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. Listen, the great spirit protects that man and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations, and a people yet unborn will hail him as the founder of a mighty empire. I am come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven, and who can never die in battle. Now, if this story does not prove to you the cow has protected George's life, <laughs> wow, then maybe this second story will. This one occurred in 1777, September 11th to be exact. It's crazy to think how that date has been synonymous with our nation's history. But back to the story. In 1777, September 11th, it was the infamous Battle of Brandywine, which is just north of the Delaware border. So, southern Pennsylvania. And at this battle was a skilled British marksman named Patrick Ferguson. And I'm going to read to you an excerpt from the book King's Mountain by Hank Messick, which quotes a letter from Ferguson the day after the battle. Before I do tell you uh, Ferguson's own account, um, I need to some, clear something up real quick. Ferguson was a Scottish officer in the King's Army, and he was in charge of a light company who were all skilled marksmen. And they were laying in hiding, waiting for the Americans to charge where they could slowly pick them off. Um, they fought like the Americans did. They lay down they were hiding behind trees they didn't fight in long lines like the regular officers did and 
in doing so, he guaranteed that his company had the lowest casualties of all companies combined. So he was a very honorable officer, and a lot of Americans do respect his legacy now. So anyway, here is what Major Ferguson said after the battle. We are not leaning along when a rebel officer remarkable by his address passed toward our army within a hundred yards of my right flank. Not perceiving us, he was followed by another dressed in dark green or blue, mounted on a bay horse with a remarkably large cocked hat. I ordered three shots to steal near to them and fire at them, but the idea disgusted me and I recalled the order. The hussar in returning made a circuit, but the other passed again within a hundred yards of us, upon which I advanced from the wood toward him. On my calling, he stopped, but after looking at me, proceeded. I again drew his attention and made signs to him to stop, but he slowly continued his way. As I was within that distance at which, in the quickest firing, I could have lodged half a dozen balls in or about him before he was out of my reach. I had only to determine, but it was not the pleasant to fire at the back of an unoffending individual who was acquitting himself very coolly of his duty, so I let him alone. The day after I had been telling this story to some of the wounded officers who lay in the same room with me, when one of our surgeons who had been dressing the wounds, wounded rebel officers came in and told us that they had been informing that General George Washington was all the morning with the late troops and only attended by a French officer in a hussar dress, he himself and mounted in every point at, as above described. I am not sorry that I did not know at the time who it was. Father this Depenay saith not as his bones were broken a few minutes later. So wrote Captain Patrick Ferguson to a friend in Scotland shortly after the Battle of Brandywine on September 11, 1777. Had he used his newly invented breech-loading rifle against Washington, the history of the Revolution and of the United States would have been quite different. So... Shortly after that brief exchange with Washington, the battle started. And during the course of the battle, Ferguson's right elbow is shattered by a musket ball, rendering his arm useless. He's able to keep his arm, despite what the surgeons wanted to do. He argued and kept his arm, um, but it was useless. And... I have often said, and I believe this too, to be an act of God. For if Ferguson had gotten another opportunity to place Washington within his sights, I doubt he would have hesitated. God moved that day and caused the gentlemanly instinct of Ferguson to hold his fire and thus save America's future first president. Washington acknowledged God as a supreme being, and that's why I think God protected him. God had great plans in store for George, and it is truly remarkable how many times God spared his life to make sure those plans were carried out. One of my other favorite moments of Washington took place when, once again, his life was in jeopardy. Not from the heat of battle, but from the cold chill of the elements. You all know about the terrible winter spent at Valley Forge by Washington and the Continental Army. Washington remained with his troops in horrible fortifications despite proper shelter available to a man of his leadership, and this endeared him among his men. He saw himself as one of them and was willing to share their hardships. 
It was during this bitter winter that Washington humbled himself further in a remarkable way. He was known to withdraw in private in the still of the night to subject himself to prayer. This was witnessed once by a Quaker named Isaac Potts, who was thought to be a royalist but switched sides when he saw Washington kneeling in the snow asking for guidance from the creator of all things. This moment was later captured by artist Arnold Freiberg, who painted the infamous painting Prayer at Valley Forge, which was mass-produced in time for the country's bicentennial celebration. It is one of my favorite paintings, and I hope to own a copy of it one day, for it captures the essence of a man who knew he was inferior and thus needed divine aid and sought it through prayer. Well, there you have it. Three stories of how God spared Washington's life. I highly encourage you to find books about Washington, for there are so many riveting accounts about his life, I doubt a hundred podcasts could capture them all. You can even read when Washington was a young man, he wrote Rules of Civility, which is basically more or less modern day proverbs, I guess you could say, of how to be a gentleman. Some of those things are a little outdated, but he was like in his teens when he wrote that. So when you read what he's saying then, maybe it wouldn't hurt if some of those came back to current day with all the nonsense we see from youngsters. So you can also read Washington's um, prayers for he was a devoutly religious man and he had such a remarkable life. So like I said, I highly encourage you to find books or podcasts, or anything you can find about George Washington, because without him, there would be no America. So folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Snowman Podcast. Please subscribe and download this episode, and please also share it with your friends, so they too can learn about great moments in American history. Till next time, I'm your host, the Snowman, and I'll see you now, yeah? George Washington predicted that someday in the future, a dollar bill will contain his likeness. <laughs> in that chance, he was on the money! <laughs>